I do want to encourage the, the men. Uh, that men's retreat is really good out at Alliance Redwoods. It's a lot of fun, um, a lot of good food, good speakers, good worship, and you get to meet guys that you don't even know. I mean, last time I went, um, I got on a volleyball team, went into the volleyball tournament with guys from other churches. We were a bunch of scrubs and scraps, and we, we took second place. Somehow, I don't know how we did it, but we did. So we just, we just, it's just fun getting to know guys, play dodgeball, go off swings, you can do zip lines. It's a great time. So if you have any questions, I hope you can make it. I'm planning on going. I know at least one other is, so that's coming up. All right, well, a big question a lot of people have is, what should I do with my life? Especially when you're young, what should I do with my life? And to know that answer to that question gives us so much confidence, gives us so much peace of mind, gives us rest, gives us focus, but keeping troubling thoughts and guilt and uncertainty and frustration at bay. It is one of the key questions to answer is, what am I supposed to do with my life? What, am, what on earth am I here for? Um, you do that, you get that done, you're going you're gonna to figure out one of the big puzzles you're going to find your sweet spot in life, what really works, and it's going to help you to flourish as, flourish as a person. You won't be distracted by the latest fads in pop culture or deceived by some new teaching that everyone's kind of promoting out there. Years ago, when my wife and I we were dating back in college, and because she was a very smart girl and a good student, she got invited into this special program. And it was all these good students from all over the country and what they were going to do was go and do these special studies, like even go to Europe and go to the Caribbean. And they were kind of like going to figure out how to solve the world's problems. And, and my wife got involved in this, and she went back to Chicago, and she met with some of the other students in this. And she just started, it kind of started to smell funny. And she said, you know, she knew that people are not the savior of the world, that God is. God's going to save the world. And she just got to the point, she said, you know, I do not feel comfortable. It smells like humanism. Man is at the center of everything. He's going to solve everything. And she says, I don't believe that. Jesus is going to do that. So she actually pulled out of that program because she knew how life works, what her life was to be about, was not for her to save the world, but for God to save the world through Christ. And so it makes a big difference when you, know, when you have the answer to that question. We have God-given purposes sprinkled throughout the scripture repeatedly to drive the point home. The last two weeks, we've talked about worship. That's kind of the one that sets everything, worship. And then the second one we talked about was witness, okay? So, and hopefully, you, 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 if you did something this past week to uh, witness in some way, we want you to put it on a sticky note and put it on that board back there. And we'll try to do the same thing next week to see what did you try to do uh, Chris and I delivered donuts to Brook Hill School on the first day of school. And we met the principal. It was a great encounter. And, you know, we're trying to build a relationship with a local elementary school. So that's what we did. I know one of our children did something. Uh, they shared God with a friend at school. I mean, it's great. It's great to see that. I hope you were encouraged by those notices on the board earlier. So, um, so work, uh, worship and witness are two of our big purposes. They're not... They're not sidebars. These aren't things that we do if we have time. God says, these are the things that you may need to make time for. This is need to be front and center. This is what you're supposed to do with your life. Okay? And a third thing we're going to talk about today is that we're to grow spiritually. 
We should always be in a learning, growing mode, no matter how old we are and no matter how many degrees we have. If you have MA, PhD, I don't know how many letters you have before your name from all your degrees, but it does not matter how many you have, we should always be learning and growing. There was a woman in this church, uh, some of you remember Charity Hayes. And Charity lived to be about 102 years old. And I remember she was a feisty, spunky woman. And one day she was in the hospital. She was like 99 years old. And I've hardly ever even talked to anybody 99. So I go into the hospital to talk to Charity. And while she's talking to me, she's sharing with me something new she's learning. And I'm like going, wow, you can still learn when you're 99 years old? I like charity. You're my hero. I want to be like you when I grow up. You know, we're, we're supposed to learn and grow, and it doesn't matter how old we are. I, just listen to this. I find profound what God has planned for us to become. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, for He chose us in Him, get this, before the creation of the world, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Does that kind of boggle your minds? Before there are quarks and asteroids and nitrogen and oxygen and helium and carbon and galaxies and suns and stars and moons, God had in his mind that you would be holy and blameless in his sight. That's phenomenal. This is not, again, this is not an afterthought. This is in our wheelhouse. This is what we were made for. All right? Here's Romans chapter 8, verse 29. says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So he has planned it, predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We're supposed to look like Jesus in this life. Here's some other references. Ephesians 4, verse 24 says, he talks about the new self. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And another one, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about loving your enemies. And he gets to the end of that, loving your enemies. And he says, be perfect, therefore. Which is, does that make you a little uncomfortable? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's in the context of loving your enemies. So he even gives us kind of the pathway. But when I use the word perfect, I'm talking about mature and complete. I'm not talking about flawlessness. I'm not talking about all your hair being in place today. And you not having any holes in your socks. Okay? I'm not talking about that. Or you're smelling good. We're talking about being mature and complete. Being the person you were designed to be. And how do you get that? He gives us a little... Uh, little program he says you got to love your enemies and you'll get there that's like the height of love when you can love your enemies so now what exactly does that look like okay so god's had it in his mind before the creation of the world that you and i would be conformed to the image of his son that we would look like jesus that we'd be holy and blameless in his sight that we would be perfect he's been thinking about this for us and planning for how does what does that look like well it looks like this more specifically it looks like jesus when you ever hear the word holy Think of Jesus. What does holiness look like? That's kind of this vague term. It looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. Well, let's be more specific. What does that look like? Well, let's go to the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus, 
when he lives in us, does this. He brings us love. He makes us be joyful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's nine fruits of the Spirit. So when we're becoming like Jesus, those things start to happen in our lives. And then, and then Peter, the apostle, wrote this. And it, it kind of adds to that list. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 5. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, so we should have faith, goodness to goodness, knowledge. Knowledge is good. To knowledge, self-control. There's self-control again. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. So those are the kinds of things that we're supposed to grow in. That's what we're supposed to look like. I love that. It's not a mystery. This purpose for our life, what on earth am I here for, is not like hidden somewhere. It's written out in Scripture in, in several different places. And he wants us to be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So, will you set your heart on becoming like Jesus? Will that be a part of your game plan for life? Your mission in life? I, I, to say, I was made for this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, not only the things that I do, but the things that happen to me, are all things that are going to be used to make me more like Christ. For him to shape me. And just to say, Lord, that's what I want. And, and I'll, I'll never, you'll never graduate. You'll never get a degree saying you've completed the course. But you're going to keep going on and on. And then one day, when you step into glory, you're going to be glorified. You're going to be that person. But I, I do believe we'll even keep learning in heaven. But so I'm going to pray right now. This is not the end of the message. You thought, wow, that was quick. It's not over. I just want to pray. That you and I would have the hearts to continue to be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is a beautiful thing. Remember, when he was here on earth, people could not get enough of him. His impact in Palestine was like people just wanted to be with him. Just think if there were more little Jesuses running around Santa Rosa and Sonoma County. What that would do for our county and our world. It's what, it's what this county and, and this city needs. So let's, let's pray, okay? God, thank you that you think so highly of us. You've been thinking about us before we were a twinkle in our daddy's eye. Lord, you had it in your mind that we would be like you, Jesus, before the creation of the world. And we're here to say we want to accept that mission. We accept it. And we want to move forward. So in your own way, would you just tell the Lord... I, I want to become like you. Help me. Just do that right now in a moment of of quiet. Lord, you know the desires of our heart. We pray that you'd fulfill the desires of our heart. Help us. Help us to become like you. Take us to a wonderful, amazing place in, in bearing your image in your name. Amen. Now, I want to give you a strategy. We kind of know, okay, that's the purpose. That's the mission. We know somewhat what that looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kind of, you know, Christ-likeness, all that. You know you're getting there when you're growing in those fruits of the Spirit. But how do you get there? There's kind of a strategy. What steps do you take? And what I'm going to share with you is a basic strategy for transformation. This is not all that needs to happen for us to become like Jesus. But I just want to give you some th- Three things, three areas to focus on, okay, where transformation happens. If you want to write these down in your notes, you can do that. 
I know that sometimes writing things down helps us to remember. Seeing it on the screen helps us to remember. So that's why we do this, okay? So here's the first thing. We are transformed by the truth. By the truth. Jesus said, Lord, this is his prayer for us. He said, transform them by the truth. Your word is truth. Consecrate them. Make them holy. Sanctify them by the truth. In other words, set them apart to God and his ways by the word of God. Paul wrote, be transformed or be changed in who you are on the inside. Become a new person by the renewing of your mind. Okay, so how do we renew our mind? What's the object of renewal? What are we looking at? Well, mainly we're looking at God's word. That's not the only thing, but mainly we're looking at God's word. Paul goes on to say that the word of God is useful for training, correcting, um, I'm going to, I don't want to get this wrong. This is 2 Timothy um, chapter, let's see, where do I have that? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 say, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So mainly it's the word of God that we use to be transformed as we renew our minds. So we need to get into it, okay? God's word has an amazing capacity to change our lives for the better. Rick Warren wrote in his book, and I want to recommend this book highly, The Purpose Driven Life. When this this book came out, it it hit America and it just went, it just exploded. This book, what I heard, it was the number one nonfiction bestseller Uh, of all time or something. It was like over 30 million copies were sold. And we actually went through this book. And I I highly recommend, if you haven't gone through it and you want to know more about the purposes of God, get the purpose-driven life. Okay, but here's what he said about the word in that book. The Bible, God's word generates life. It creates faith. It produces change. It frightens the devil. It causes miracles. It heals hurts. It builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy, it overcomes adversity, it defeats temptation, it infuses hope, it releases power, it cleanses our minds, it brings things into being, and it guarantees our future forever. Not bad to get that out of a book, eh? That's my, I was in Canada this summer. A is the Canadian influence. Okay, A. So that's what the Bible does. That is a lot of nutrition for, for you and me. Um, So, how do we approach, you know, I I was thinking about this uh, just for my own life, and how the Bible has been kind of rocking my world for a long time, since I was, I can literally say since I was 16 years old, it's been rocking me, it's not always pleasant, hasn't always been comfortable, I've had to make some changes, but it's hard, and it's hard to be confronted with, hey, there's something wrong in my life that needs to be changed, and the Bible's done that a number of times, but because of God's word, um, I've been able to change my mind about emotional pain, which has helped me in my relationships. How do I respond to emotional pain? And it's helped me grow, you know, in my marriage and with my, with my kids and even with my grandkids. You know, I used to poo-poo, you know, hey, man, if you hurt, get over it. Get over it. You know, I was kind of raised in that generation. That's the way we dealt with pain. And then I realized that's not a very good thing to say because we need to work through our pain. There's a lot of people in addiction today because they don't know how to deal with their pain. It's a major thing, learning how to deal with emotional pain. We, do, we try to find ways to deal with it all the time, and I didn't know how to deal with it. So now I had a, when a, a granddaughter comes to me, and she's 
when she was sad about my grandma, my grandma, my mom dying, her, her, her granny, her great grandmother, I was like, stop and listen to Aubrey Let's talk about the, the grief that she feels over my mom's death instead of just plowing through it. It, it changes relationships. That, and where did that come from? That came from the word. It came from the word. Also, God changed my attitudes about work, and I became a better, more content worker. He changed my understanding of God's will, seeing it not just as a big career thing, but it's involved in my attitudes. Now look every day. He changed my attitude about heaven. I look forward to heaven more now than I used to because I understand it better. It motivates me to live my life when, I, when I'm thinking about heaven. So that all comes from God's word. Now, so how, how do we approach God's word for maximum impact. Kind of going through this quickly. These are on your notes. You can just read through these. Here's one thing that we need to do. We need to accept its authority. We need to say the word of God is more authoritative than my wife or my husband, than my parents, than my favorite teacher at school, than my favorite author, my favorite talk show host, my coach, my music teacher, The number one authority in my life is going to be the Word of God. And everything else will be measured by the Word of God. And I will submit to it above everything. We need to get to that point. We give it the ultimate authority in our lives. Number two, the other thing we do to get maximum impact out of it is to assimilate its truth. In other words, kind of metabolize it. Chuck Swindoll talked about having biblene blood. Where you get the Word into your system and it's just kind of in there. You don't always have to say... You know, retrieve it from your mental files. It just, it just lives in you, okay? And, and so assimilate the truth. You need to go. Uh, my kids had a teacher, and I love this teacher. And, and she would say, she's very good. She would say, you know, our, our, our goal this year is not to get through the math textbook. Our goal is to get it, not to get through it. Because you know you can get through a science or a math textbook and not understand half of it. Well, great, you got through the book, but you don't understand it. She was saying, no, we need to get it. You need to understand it. That's the key. That's learning. That's what we're about. We're causing people to learn, not to just get through the last page. And it's the same thing with the Word of God. If you need to slow down, slow down. Stay in one book and just just immerse yourself in it for six months. I'm immersing myself in a prayer right now, Colossians 1, 9 through 11. It's coming alive to me. I've memorized this first, but it's like, it's really living because it's hit me at a stage in my life. I need, to, I need this prayer to happen in my life. So just stick with it, okay? Um, third thing is after you uh, accept its authority and assimilate its truth, apply its teachings. Jesus said you've got to apply it to build your life on a, on a rock. Otherwise, you're just building on the sand. So it's about getting, to, you, because that will bring transformation when you're living the word of God. Um, one thing I recommend uh, with the word is that you get together with somebody or maybe your spouse or with your kids and just say, hey, let's go through this little passage. You read it out loud, then we'll read it silently, and then we'll both all talk about what did you see? Did you observe anything in there? And then talk about what should we do? What should we do about it? Okay. So that's just a quick thing with the word. So, so you are transformed by the truth. Number two, we're transformed by troubles. James is, a, is probably my favorite on this one. James 1, 
3 through 4. Well, it says actually in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God uses troubles a lot because there are so many of them. Isn't he smart? He knew you're going to have a lot of problems in your life. And he said, I'm going to use your problems to make you more mature. Following Jesus is no bait and switch commitment. Jesus said on the front end, he let, it, he let us all know, in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. If you follow Jesus, you're going to have problems. That's okay. He's overcome the problems. In fact, he's going to leverage the problems like judo and use those problems to make you more like him. More, for, more specifically, when it comes to Christ-likeness, it says trials of many kinds can make us mature and complete, not lacking anything. The key ingredient for us in this is perseverance. We've got to endure through the trials, persevere, and not giving up. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. You know, a lot of people look at problems as just annoyances. And if all you do is when you look at problems in your life is they're annoyances and I don't want to be annoyed. I want to be done with all these problems. Well, what's going to happen is you're always going to be annoyed because you always have problems. The problems aren't going to they'll change in nature. But if, if you don't see that there's a higher purpose behind your problems, you're going to just be ticked off and disturbed and asking God, why do you allow all these problems in my life? And then you're not going to grow because you're just, you're just ticked off. Now I was talking to, uh, instead of saying, okay, these problems in my life, God is going to use to make me more mature. So in that, I can be thankful to God because he's working in the problems to make me a new person. I, I had a guy, he's a, somebody I never met. He came into my office and we were talking about his problems. A lot of money problems, career problems, just problems, problems living in car problems. And as I tried to share with them, you know, that's okay, let's try to help you with that, but also you need to look at those problems in a new way. He just didn't want it. He's like, no, I just don't want to have problems. There's like no higher problems, no higher purpose to these troubles that I'm having. And so, you know, he was, he was stuck. He was joyless. He was, he was grumpy. He, you know, it's like we're not supposed to live like that when we have these trials. So how do you respond to troubles. This is really key. Okay, first thing is you, you need to remember that God's plan is good. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He was saying that to people with problems. They'd just been exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Their lives were miserable. They thought their lives were over. We have no future. And God said, No, I have good plans for you. And we need to remember that. God's plans are good. That's one. Number two, Rejoice and give thanks in your problems that God is with you. The Bible says be joyful always. Give thanks in all circumstances, even the bad ones, even the hard ones. And then third thing, refuse to give up. Persevere. Push through your problems. Okay, last week I did something dumb. And I'm like, oh, how, did I, how did I mess? You know, sometimes... Um, Dealing with situations, you know, I, I've seen a lot of situations. I've been a pastor for a while, but 
but I, I got I got schnookered. And I'm like, I'm like going, and when I went and talked about it, I was talking to my wife about it. She said, you know, this could happen if you don't correct it. She's, I'm going, oh no. And we're in bed at night. And I'm just laying there going, oh, why did I do that? And I, I'm thinking, and I, I, was, I was having trouble sleeping. And I'm like, God, uh, I blew it. Um, would you protect us from what I just did? And, and uh, Lord, in the morning, you know, who do I need to? And I thought, I have, I have three people I need to talk to first thing in the morning when I go to work to help correct this problem. And, uh, and so I said, Lord, protect us and help me to get some sleep tonight because this is really messing with my head. And so I prayed and I eventually I got to sleep and I got up in the morning and I came into the office and I called three people. I said, here's what I did. It was, it was the wrong thing to do. It was an error in judgment. What should I do? And we walk through it. And here's what, you know, it was a financial thing. Here's what the bank's going to do. You know, and it was like, and so I was done talking to everybody I needed to talk to. And, um, and then everything worked out okay. And I just had peace in my heart. But I learned, I learned, you know, from my trouble, my problem. I got to put it in God's hand. God protect us. Here's what I need to do in the problem. And then, and then the last thing is, Lord, help me not to do that again. <laughs> you know? Once you do it, what did I do? What position was I in that I was susceptible to what I heard to make the decision that I made? So God wants to grow us and mature us through those troubles, okay? Last thing is we're transformed by temptation. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. When do we need self-control? When we're tempted to do something wrong. God's going to use those temptations to grow us in self-control. We don't talk a lot about self-control, but we need to be able to say no to those wrong desires that take, want to make us sin. We need to learn to grow in that stronger. Satan wants to destroy you through temptation, and God wants to develop you through temptation. He'll often use the opposite thing in our life to grow us in this area. Let's say he wants to grow us in peace. Well, then what he will do? is that it'll put us in a situation where there isn't peace. And there's turbulence. And we need to find peace in the middle of the storm. Kind of like we with my situation. I need to grow in peace, you know, that night. Or if, you have a, if he wants to grow you in love, a lot of times he'll bring people into your life that are hard to love. And he'll teach you to love through those people that are hard to love. Those difficult people. Do you know, I, I mean, I had this... Uh, this, this I've probably shared this before, you know, I've been around here a little while. But anyway, um, you know, this, this guy that was in my life, that was just public enemy number one. And really, every time his face came up, I wanted to throw darts at it. It was like a dartboard. And I'm like, well, this is not a good way to respond to this guy who's just after me and is public enemy number one. So, so how do I respond? So every time his face came up on a dartboard, and it usually when I was running in the morning, I say, God bless him, be with him. Do your work in his life. And began to bless him. You know what? His, dart, his face came up on the dartboard the next morning. I'd have to do it again. I thought, I thought it was supposed to be easier than this. It's just supposed to be gone. You know, you do it once and it didn't work that way. But I kept doing it. I did it for months. And you know what happened? My heart shifted. And he wasn't my enemy anymore. Not in my heart. He may have still said things about me and done stuff to me that was hurtful. But it was like, I, I cared about him. And I could talk to him. 
And when it was all said and done, it was one of the most beautiful uh, reconciliations in my entire life. It was with public enemy number one. When I came up to Santa Rosa, I had two encounters with him afterwards at a funeral and driving through town down to Lancaster in Southern Cal. And it was like, it was amazing. And the most amazing thing was when I saw him at this funeral. Here he had been one of the biggest problems in my life. And I saw him at a funeral. And my first thought was, that's my friend. Isn't that weird? I really, truly thought that. I wasn't saying he should be. I really thought, hey, it's my friend. It was like, God, you transformed my heart. This is amazing. So some of these really hard things, God will do things. And that lesson will be with you for the rest of your life. You know, isn't it terrible that we carry some of the resentments and the hurts that we do for 40 years? Why do we do that? Let it go. We need to drain that out of our hearts. I talked to a man this week, and he talked about how he's changing in his approach to a relationship. And he says the resentment is leaving. I'm like, that is, you know, I'm thinking, you know, we're just sitting here having lunch. I'm just thinking, you know, that is so big. That is such a huge victory. And God wants to do that. So how do we respond to temptation? Refocus your, atten- your attention on something else when you're tempted. So the psalmist said, Lord, um, to get it exact, let me go again. Psalm 119 verse 37 says this. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. If you get tempted in one area, start to redirect your focus over here. Away from the thing that's causing you temptation. Number two, reveal your struggles to a friend or a support group. Talk to somebody about it. Two are better than one because if, they, if one falls down, the other one can pick them up. That's in Ecclesiastes 4. Another thing to do is to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Just put up the fight. Keep fighting. He coming after you with temptation, stand against him. And the last thing is realize your vulnerability. We're all vulnerable. We all are susceptible. You'll never get to a point where you're not temptable. How do I know that? Because Jesus was always temptable. We're supposed to be like Jesus. He was tempted. He just didn't give in. Okay? So here's some growth tries. Here's some growth. This bright orange piece of paper. You can't miss it. Here's some ideas for you to practice this week. Um, Read through a book in the Bible, one chapter a day. There's like Ephesians, Colossians, five chapters and less. You can get through it in a week. Uh, Memorize a Bible verse. Um, read, discuss, apply this one passage of scripture. It should be 2 Peter 1, verse 3 through 9, not 4, 3 through 9. Describe a problem in your life and what you need to do to push through it. Meditate on how a problem has strengthened or changed you. Reveal a temptation you're having to a friend. It's amazing when you bring something into the dark, into the light, how the thing in the dark will lose its power. And redirect your thoughts when you're tempted. You can add some other things if you want. But just try something. Try something to grow. All right. Well, I want to close with a... We're going to do a song. Um, this is an old uh, piece of, a, of an old hymn. Oh, to be like thee. And more than singing, I hope it would be like a prayer. You know, Lord, I want this to happen in my life. I want to become more like you. And uh, for the rest of my life. So let's go ahead and sing this song. We get those words up if they're coming. There we go. Oh, to be loved.
have this great dream for our lives, this great vision that we become like you. And we believe, Lord, that if we do, it's going to shake things around us. It's going to impact people. It's not just going to affect us. It's going to change the way people think about you. And it very well may alter some people's eternal destiny. So God, help us to step into this. It's uncomfortable, it feels awkward, it's painful. Help us to push through. Help us to persevere. Because the good is coming, the character's coming, the hope is coming. And hope will not disappoint us. Father, just pinpoint those things that each of us needs to do. And to walk with you. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for thinking about us so highly. And now go with us, Lord, by the power of your spirit to do what only you can do and help us to cooperate. Lord, let your face shine upon your people. And uh, may we know your blessing and your goodness and your favor this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you.